Well, good morning. It is good to be with you here today. It's good to be in the book of 1 Samuel. If you know me, you know that I, I love the Old Testament. I love these stories. And I wanted to start with a little bit of, oh, got turned on, a little bit of trivia. And uh, it's unfortunate Randy and Jackie aren't here because I think they would have gotten this right off the bat. Who knows who this guy is? If you can raise, you can yell it out. Who is this? Ronnie Lott. And if you know anything about Ronnie Lott, you know that he, he was famous for being very competitive and very tough, right? Those are, those are the things. He was very good, too, but he was also incredibly competitive and incredibly tough. In fact, I heard a story about him a number of years ago, and maybe you know this story, but as the story goes, they, they played the last regular season game, and he broke his pinky at the end of that game. And he went to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, we need to put a pin in it and put a cast on it, and you need to rest for eight weeks. And the, the playoffs were starting the next week. And he said, well, are there alternatives? And the doctor said, well, we can, we can cut off your pinky, the tip of your pinky, and you can play next week. And if you see a picture of Ronnie Lott in, in, in current days, Ronnie Lott does not have a pinky finger because he said, take it off, doc, I want to play. And he played in, in the playoff game the next week, which they lost, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have left that detail because it kind of ruins the story. But I heard that story years ago. And it made, I mean, it stuck with me. It stuck with me. Because I can tell you Ronnie Lott was tough. I can say that to you, tell you a fact about him. But that story, there's an emotional element to it, right? There's, a, there's, a, there's something about it that sticks with you, that, that kind of, that you don't forget. Well, in the same way, you can look at the book of Romans and you can read through and learn things about God, details and facts about God. And we've done that. There's a lot of good there. We get good theology out of that. We learn who God is. But these Old Testament stories a lot of times show us, and, and, and I think sometimes there is an emotional aspect to them. There is a story aspect that, that maybe drives that truth deeper into our hearts. And that's one of the things I love about these Old Testament stories. Um. I also wanted to make the point, you probably, maybe you know this, but you know, the, the primary point of these stories is that, is, is for us to, to make an emotional connection, to, to make a, an emotional connection with the nature of God. The, the primary goal of these is not necessarily to say, um, although we can learn some things, but it's not primarily to say, go be like Elkanah, or, or go be Hannah, unless you are Hannah, in which case that's okay. Um, um, or go be David, or go be Samuel, right? Like, the, the primary point of, of these is for us to say, this is, this is who God is. Because Hannah's gone, David's gone, Samuel's gone, but the God who we see in, this, in these stories, he's the same. He's, it's the same God. So my hope as we work our way through here is that we would, we would see, see God and connect with, with who he is. So we're picking up this story um, at kind of the... Uh, the the second half. Mike preached on the first half last week. And I want to, in case you weren't here or you just forgot, um, I just kind of want to bring us up to speed on where we are. So there's this guy, Elkanah. He's, he's a, a man living in Israel. This is just after the book of Judges, so it's kind of an interesting time. There's, there's no temple yet. There's just the, there's the, the tabernacle is set up. Um, not, the, not the temple that David's going to build. There is a sort of temple that, that has priests serving in it. Um, and Elkanah had two wives. He had Hannah, who we're going to hear more about today, and he had another wife that we don't care about because she was mean. Um, <laughs> and I don't, I, I, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce her name. So, um, 
So his other wife had multiple children, and Hannah did not. She didn't have any children. And this was a source of great grief to her because that was a source of, um, of a woman's value in that time. It was, she, she had a desire to be a mother and also to give her, her husband uh, an heir. And so it was made worse by the fact that this other wife was, would constantly torment her, was constantly just mean to her over the fact that she, didn't, that she was barren. So Hannah goes up every year. Um, Elkanah gives the, the portion of the sacrifice to his whole family. He gives a double portion to Hannah. He, he loves Hannah, and he cares about her, and he wants to express that to her. And she's still, she's just un, in, unconsolable. And um, is it inconsolable? Unconsolable. It's inconsolable, isn't it? Yeah, see, that was bugging. I knew that was bugging somebody. Um, and, um, and still, she's inconsolable, and so she's, she's praying this time, and she's, she's, she's not eating, and she's praying, and she's, she's, she's just praying, God, please, please give me, a, give me a child. And in fact, she makes this vow. She says, if you give me a child, I will give him to you to serve you all the days of his life. And she has this encounter with Eli, the, 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 the priest there. Eli comes and thinks she's drunk because she's praying so quietly and she's in just such, such turmoil. And she says, no, I'm not drunk. I've, I've made this vow to God. And, and Eli says, well, may, may, may God, he, he kind of understands it. And he says, I hope God answers your prayer. And at the tail end of that section, she goes back home. And in fact, God does answer her prayer. She, she does um, conceive. She has this child and they name him Samuel. And that's where we pick up our story. She has had Samuel, and, and she is now a mother, fittingly enough, right? Um, so as we dive into the rest of the story here, we open up on this, the next phase of it. Um, right off the bat, there's a few odd things that I noticed. So first off, in verse 21, we're told, The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. All right. So he, the, the sacrifice part, that's normal, but to pay his vow. Well, what vow? He didn't make a vow. Hannah made a vow, but, but Elkanah didn't make a vow. And i got to be honest, the commentaries on this, they, they were, I, I, didn't, I didn't really like a lot of what they said because they said, well, looks like Elkanah made a vow too. He must have made a vow along with his wife. And you're like, no, he didn't. It doesn't say that he made, like, it doesn't say that he made a vow. Where are you getting that from? But they're like, well, he's paying it. He must have made one. So, it's just put out there. So then the next fact that's a little odd here is, <clears throat> but Hannah did not go. For she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him. Well, that's kind of odd too, because there's no reason she couldn't bring the baby with her. I mean, clearly her, the, the other wife, uh, Paniah, Penaniah, whatever her name was, the mean wife, she brought her kids with her every time. There's no indication that that. She wasn't bringing her children with her or that the children would stay behind or that a mother who had a small child would stay behind. So it's a little odd. We're reading along here and it's like, well, why isn't Hannah going with him? And finally, there's this conversation between the two of them in 22 and 23. Hannah says to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. And then verse 23, Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. And wait until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. <clears throat> so is this just the usual thing to do? Um, it, so is it usual that you would wait till the child is weaned if, you're, if you've dedicated him to the Lord? I mean, is that uh, her vow looking back at verse, uh, 
where is it where she makes the vow? In verse 9, she says, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, remember me and not forget your servant, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Well, all the days of his life seems like all the days of his life. So I guess the question is, um, you know, I, I guess my question is, if, if she had said, I'm going to wait till he's weaned to bring him up there, and that, and, and that was clearly the right, you know, the, the ordained thing of God to do, Elkanah would have been like, sounds good, that's the right thing to do. Elkanah seems to be a pretty careful guy. But instead he says, okay, we'll do as you see best, only may the Lord establish his word. So the question I have for you is, is there a clear rule? If you devote somebody to the Lord all the days of their life to serve in the temple, <clears throat> is there a clear rule about when you're supposed to do that? And you're thinking, how could there be a rule for that? I mean, who would, where, where, have, why, who, where would you write down a rule that specific? Well, have you met the book of Leviticus? So as it turns out, Leviticus chapter 27 has a whole bunch of rules about when you devote somebody to the Lord. And I'm going to skip to the, what the commentary says about it first, and we'll go look at it. It says, a man might vow to the service of God whatever he had a right over, that is himself, his wife, his children, his slaves, his beasts, his houses, his fields. In case persons were vowed, the rule was that they should be redeemed at a certain price. That is, if you wanted to basically buy them back, they were redeemed at a certain price, though occasionally the redemption was not made. So in Leviticus chapter 27, we're reading through here, and I, 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 I abridged it a little bit. There's the, the, the dots right there, because I didn't want to put, I mean, it, it's, it's Leviticus. So I, I filled the whole slide. But it says, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, if anyone makes a special vow to the Lord involving the valuation of persons, then the valuation of a male from 20 years old up to 60 years old shall be 50 shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. So if you're 20 to 60 years old, that's your, your, that's your worth. 20 she what? How many shekels? 50 shekels. That's good to know, right? In case you're wondering how many shekels you're worth. But if the person is from a month old up to five years old, the valuation will be for a male five shekels of silver. So the law says you can vow somebody as young as a month to the Lord. So it's not like there's a prescribed... In fact, it kind of seems like if you say all the days of the Lord, that starts all the day. That's all the days of your life. That starts when you're born. Well, my point here is, her husband, being this diligent, law-abiding, careful man, um, knows Leviticus. He seems to. He knows, seems to know what the right sacrifice is. He seems to be very careful about this. <clears throat> and he's thinking, I need, to, I need to pay this vow. If, she, if, if the child is not there yet, then I need to pay the value of that vow each year as I go up until he is there. Um, so I guess the impression I get is that there's a little bit of tension here in this family. There's a little bit of, Hannah knows she's made this vow, but she's struggling. She's struggling to, to bring this child to God and to hand him off. And Elkanah is saying, okay, you're his mother, and I respect you, and I honor you, but he's also wanting to make sure that, that they honor God. Um, in fact, I like what he says to her. He says, do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. Uh, and I like um, the New Living Translation. Actually, I really like what it says. He says, whatever you think is best, stay here for now. And may the Lord help you keep your promise. I, I think that's what he's saying by may the Lord establish his word. He's saying, 
okay, we're good. We're gonna, we're, I'm going to pay his vow each year. I'm going to pay the vow price for him each year when I go to the temple. You hold on to him. Um, but, but be careful. Be careful that you, that you honor God's word, that you honor this vow. Vows are a very serious thing. Um, we could go on. There's, vow, there's all kinds of things about vows in Leviticus, right? And, and I mean, the point of, the, of it a lot is if you make a vow to God, you keep that vow. You, you stick by it. So Hannah keeps him until he's weaned. Um, most commentaries uh, think that that, that might have been like three years old. In the Old Testament, in, in those times, sometimes people would, would nurse a child to three years. Weaning age could have been three years. Um, it's kind of reinforced by the fact that um, we're told that the bull they bring up is, is a three-year-old bull, that they bring that up to sacrifice. Or some people think they might have brought three bulls um, because of the proportion between the flower and the, and the bulls. But Either way, you've got this, this number three. And so it seems like, like, like three years old is, is a likely age that, that's, that they, Samuel is. They also bring flour, a bunch of flour, an ephah of flour, which is a decent amount. And they also bring a, a skin of wine, which I read can be up to six gallons. So this is like a box. This is like boxed wine, maybe a couple of Costco boxes of wine for those of you who are boxed wine drinkers. Um, but the, the, the point is, the point is, he, there's, there's some wealth in this family. This is not the sacrifice of a poor family. Uh, a bowl and, and a bunch of flour and this wine, I mean, they're bringing a fairly significant, um, wealthy, wealthy um, sacrifice there. So Samuel was born into a good home. He was born into a good home. His father is wealthy. His father seems to be meticulous about honoring God in a time when, if you've read the book of Judges, there were not a lot of people who were meticulously honoring God. And this is, this is right at the tail end of the book of Judges. He has a mother who loves God and who cares deeply about, about him as a child. But he's three now, and, and it's time. She's waited as long as she can, and, and so they bring him to hand him over to Eli. Now, if you look, the, the, the sacrifice that they bring up in verse 24 is described. Um, she took with them a, a three-year-old bowl, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine. She brought them to the house of the Lord. And, and, and look at that sentence at the end of verse 24. It says, and the child was young. You know, it's, it's easy sometimes for us to blow past um, little, little phrases like that in the Bible. Like, well, we, I mean, we know he's young, right? He, he, clearly, you've said he's young. You're just restating it. And we're like, we just kind of blow past it as like, you know. But we've got to remember, I mean, Curtis, Curtis was right. And said, this is, this is the word of God. And if you've read good literature, God's a better writer, right? I mean, this is not just the word of God. I, I mean, that's, that's something. I mean, I'm not saying just in, like, I'm not demeaning it. This is the word of God, but this is also great literature, this is a carefully written book, and, and I think we need to pay attention um, to the words that are there and not blow, blow by them. Um, and I think sometimes the Bible is brilliantly written, and we, we, we kind of forget that. So this little, this little phrase here, and the child was young. I think the author is trying to communicate to us the heart of Hannah right here. He's just a three-year-old boy. And she kept him maybe longer than a strict interpretation of the vow should have said she should, but still he's young and he's little and he's helpless. And, and as we read through this, we're going to find out, I mean, Eli, he was the priest, well, his sons were the priest. Eli is an okay guy. He's not, 
He's not great. His sons are far from great. I mean, we're going to see in just a couple chapters here, his sons were, were abusing the laws of the temple. Um, they, were, um, they were abusing um, their position of, of, of power in the temple in how they related to some of the women who served there. I'm trying to be delicate in how I say that. Uh, so the, the place that, Eli, that, that Samuel is going to, this little three-year-old boy, this is not... This is not a great place. Yeah, it's the temple of God, but, but you've got Eli running it and his sons, and, and, and he's leaving this wonderful home. So I think, I think we see in this just how hard it must have been for her to let him go. This child was young. But she gathers her strength, and they go to see Eli. And I like verse 25, and all the verses before this, the story is told as either what he is doing, like Elkanah does this and he does this, or it's told like Hannah, and, and she did this. But if you look at verse 25, um, let me just read it. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. They do this together, which is just, I, I just found that really beautiful, that uh, there's this tension about the right thing to do, maybe a little bit of tension as they're both struggling to do the right thing before God and before their child. But, but in the end, they bring him up together. They slaughter the bull together and they, and they bring him up together. And I just, I found that really, really beautiful. And, and so then next, um, this interaction with Eli, which I also really loved. I love the whole passage. I mean, it's, it's really good. In fact, I got to tell you, I... I'm preaching mostly because I think I annoyed Mike into letting me preach because I just, I, I was reading this and I was like, man, that's good. And I said, you know, you're busy this week if, if you need somebody to preach for you. And he's like, well, I'll let you know. And I, okay, okay. And, and so then he finally called me up and he said, Chris, will you? And I said, yes. <laughs> so I, I, I just, it's just such a good passage. Anyway, so hands about to hand her son over to Eli's care. And um, she says, um, she says, she says to him, she says, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. So she reminds him of, of their interaction. From It would have been like four years ago, was probably right? Because if, if the child's three and then you know, she was there and had, the, had to have the whole pregnancy, it was probably about four years ago. She says, Do you remember me? I'm the woman who we had this interaction and I told you that I was praying and, and this is the boy. Now, now parents who have who have taken their kid and, and, and maybe to kindergarten or, or, um, or, or handed them off at college um, or, or, I don't know, even to like a soccer team. You know that feeling where you, you go to this stranger who is gonna be, who's going to have, have care for your kid and you say, do you, do you know how special this kid is? Like, I know you got lots of kids, and that's fine. You know, you do what you want with them. But do you know, can you relate to that? Because, man, I can. You want to you wanna say something to them about, he's really good at math. Or, I mean, you want to say something that, like, will, will have the teacher, like, recognize that. It, Jamie calls that mom goggles, I just realized. He, you know, when you, like, when you think the coach should be playing your kid, he calls it mom goggles, like you're wearing mom goggles. And so you, you see them like you see your kid as being better than they are. But, but I can relate to that so much, that, that wanting to, to tell this stranger, like, um, this kid is special. And so she says, I'm the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. 
she, she's trying to, to, to make this connection with Eli and say, I'm about to hand this three-year-old off to you. Like, take care of him. We're not given any indication of whether Eli remembers her or not. I mean, it's been four years. He's the priest at Shiloh. He sees a lot of people come and go. I mean, I, it's possible that he's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I mean, maybe he remembers. We don't know. We don't know. But she tries to make that connection. And I love how you can see her heart in it. So finally, the last verse of our passage, Hannah hands over her son. Uh, Verse 28, she says, Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Now look closely at what what she says. Did you see that that, that word? So some, some Bible translations, she says, I'm giving him to the Lord, or I'm dedicating him to the Lord. Um, and, and some commentaries say, well, no, Lind isn't really the right translation. It's, it, it, that's not quite the right meaning of that word. And they're not wrong. It's not exactly the right meaning of that word. But look for, back at verse 11 with me, if you would. She says in verse 11, And she vowed and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant... And remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. She says give. She says give there. Not I'll lend him to you. She says I will give him to you. And um, I want to get, uh, I, I'm sorry to do this to you, but we, I, I, the, the, the Hebrew here is important. The word give in Hebrews is nathan. I'm probably, Mike, Mike will be nice to me and not tell me if I'm mispronouncing that because he's the only one who knows probably. But nathan, and it means to give, to bestow, grant, permit, ascribe, employ, devote, consecrate. It's used all over the Bible. Um, it's, it's a very common word. It's transactional. Um, a couple of examples, like, and, and there's a ton of examples of where this word is used in the Old Testament. But on that day, the, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying to your offspring, I give this land. He Gave them the land um, from the river of Egypt to the great river. And then in Exodus, therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? So it's, it's what you would think. It's the word, it's the word give. It, it, it means what you think it means. It means give. Um, and it makes sense that she would use the word when she did because when she was praying, she's devastated, right? She's, she's upset that she doesn't have a child, but her devastation is over how she's being treated. Her devastation is over her shame. Uh, her devastation is over her, her, her lack of ability to be the mother. But this child that she's praying for is, at that point, an abstraction, right? She wants, she wants to be a mother, but she doesn't... She doesn't it's, there's no personal... It's, she doesn't know Samuel yet. He's not born yet. So when she's praying, it's transactional. God, give me a child and I will give you that child back. And she uses that exact same word for both. But now that she has this son, uh, this son that she has loved and raised to three years old, um, she uses a different word. And the word she uses is sha'el. And the definition is kind of odd. It means to ask, inquire, borrow, or beg, or to even ask a favor of. Um, she says, starting in verse seven, 27, um, I prayed to God, and God gave me what I asked for, and, and, and that's that nothing. And, there she, it, and then she says, God has given me the petition that I asked for. Well, let me try and show you this. And, and I, we won't stay on this for long. I don't even know if you can see it. 
But what she says is, God gave me, this is the nothane, my petition, this is almost the same word as, as asked, that I asked for. So I have asked him to the Lord as king as long as he lives, he is asked. That's weird, right? I mean, it's kind of a, so no wonder they have trouble translating it because it's just kind of odd. But I think the point is that it's a, um, it's a give with some hesitation is maybe the best way, the best way to look at it. I think she's kind of saying, God, I'm giving him over to you, but I'm watching you. I'm watching how you take care of him. And, I'm, and if I feel like you're not taking care of him as well as I would take care of him, God, I'm taking him back. Right? I mean, that's not a, that's not a perfect translation, but I, I think it gets to the sense of it. She's saying, um, I'm giving him to you with an ask. Um, she's both handing the child over and expressing to God her extreme reluctance and fear. Man, can you relate to that? Moms, can you relate to that with your kids? Dads, too? I think most of us have experienced something like that, whether it's with kids or something else, another person uh, in our lives, a spouse maybe, or, or even um, finances or a job or a relationship. That when God is asking us to give something to Him and we say, okay, okay, I, I can kind of do that. But she does it. She honors her vow as best she's able to. And the chapter tells us, and he worshiped the Lord there. That's the last verse of the, of the, of the, uh, or the last sentence of the verse. And he worshiped the Lord there. He worshiped, like who? <clears throat> Here's another place where commentaries drove me crazy. Because a lot of them say, well, it was clearly Samuel. I mean, Samuel's who the book's written about, right? He's kind of, in some ways, the, well, he, the book's about David, but Samuel's, I guess, one of the main characters. And he's going to have this impressive career, don't get me wrong. Samuel's going to be pretty, pretty impressive, but he's three. I mean, he's three, right? And some commentaries will say things like this. He, that is the boy Samuel, thus putting his own child seal to his mother's gift of himself to God. But... I mean, he's three. And, and, and you just have to look a couple verses ahead in verse in three to say, in, ver, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, it says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So this idea that somehow this three-year-old kid, like, is worshiping God, we, we have this tendency to take Bible people and turn them into... I don't know what, like these weird kind of like saintly superheroes, but they're just people. I, I honestly think that the translation here, and, and other places do translate it this way, um, it could be Eli, it could be that this moved Eli seeing this and he worshipped, or it could be that Elkanah saw it and worshipped, or some, some commentaries say there's no reason it couldn't be they, it couldn't have been translated they, and they worshipped God there. Um, Hannah and Elkanah together. They, they handed off their child and they worshiped God. And, and clearly, we're going to see in the next verse, Hannah's about to pray this beautiful prayer. And so clearly, it seems like she's involved in the worship. Um, it, it's probably just a, a trick of, of, of the language, I guess. But at any rate, that brings us to the end of, of our narrative here, the end of this, this portion of the story. Well, well, as I said before, I, I don't think the goal should necessarily be that we would say, 
So go ye therefore and do like, like go do likewise. Like not necessarily, I don't I don't think the goal should be necessarily be like Hannah. I, I think instead we should read this and say, wow, I am like Hannah. Right? I, I think as we read through these narratives and we see the people God's dealing with, our sense should be these are normal people. The, the, the thing in the Bible is God does extraordinary things, but the extraordinary part is not the people. In fact, God typically uses kind of ordinary people, but God is extraordinary, right? And God does extraordinary things through people. The extraordinary one is God. But I, we can relate to Hannah here, I think. So often I find I want to obey God, but I struggle to do it. I struggle to trust him. I have hard, things, hard times giving things over to God. So in, in light of that, I think the question is not, how can we be like Hannah? But in light of the fact that we are like Hannah, what can we learn about God's heart here? So I think there's a couple of things. And the first is that, if you will notice, there's no verse 29. There's no verse 29 here where God says, Hannah, you said give. You said you would give him. You said you would give him all the days of his life. And now you're, you held him for three years and you're lending him to me. Hannah, no, I need you to say give, right? That verse is not here. Eli doesn't come out and say that. God doesn't say that. The text doesn't say anything about God saying like, no, that's not good enough. This, this halfway give that you're proposing, right? That verse is not there. Which, it seems like if God wasn't pleased with their terms, he would have said something. But there isn't. God seems to be satisfied with, this me- with the measure of faith she's able to stir up. It reminds me of the story in Mark. I love this story where Jesus is casting out a demon and a boy, and he tells the boy's father, everything is possible for you to believe. And, and, and what does the father say? He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Like so often our faith is just, just what we can stir up, what, what little measure we can stir up. But on the other hand, we see that God doesn't back down from asking her to do this hard thing. God doesn't say, you're right, Hannah, he's way too young. He is way too young to be handed over to this temple. Keep him another five years, raise him up, train him in the way of the Lord, and then bring him to the temple. God doesn't say that to her either, right? He still asks her to do this hard thing. And we'll see, I think, that this is for Samuel's good. Because Samuel is going to go on to have this amazing, this amazing career. Um, God is putting a call on his life, and I, and I think part of the call on his life is probably him growing up in this temple that is not run necessarily the way it ought to be run. We have to remember that, that we care deeply about our kids. We care deeply about the things that we care about, but so does God, right? God cares about them. God cares about them more than you do. We forget that sometimes, but he does, right? God cares about our kids more than we do. But even so, isn't there a part of you that reads this and thinks, why? Why did Hannah, I mean, God, why did Hannah have to be barren? And then she finally prays, but for whatever reason, you stir her up to make this vow. And so then she finally has, after all this suffering, she finally has a child, her beloved only son. And, and, and then you, you make him leave his loving, wealthy home and, 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 and go grow up lonely at this, at this serving at, at Shiloh. What kind of God would ask somebody to do something like that? And you go, oh, only a God who would do that himself. Only way worse for God. Do you see the parallel here? 
God himself years later would bring his only son, his beloved son, and have him leave his glorious, wealthy, loving home and come to earth to, to a place where he would be unknown, where he would be lonely. So God was asking Hannah to do something hard here with Samuel, but, but God was going to do something way harder himself. He's not a God who sits above us and can't sympathize with our weaknesses and struggles. So I have two takeaways for you, and then we'll be done. The first is this. If there is a person or anything else that God is asking you to give to him and you are struggling with that, consider lending it to God instead. There's a difference. It's just a word. But there's a difference, I think. In, and and I, I think what, what we would learn here about God is God's okay with that. If the best you can do is say, God, I'm lending him to you. I'm lending her to you. I think God's okay with that. I think God will take that and honor that. If there's a situation in your life, if there's something you're struggling with, and you're like, God, I need to give this to you, but I can't, can you lend it to him? And the second point is, if you're struggling to trust in God's goodness in the matter, look to the cross. Our struggle to trust God for our needs so often comes down to just having a hard time believing that he's good. So hard... It, it, believing that he loves us. And the place where we get that reassurance is, is the cross. That's why, I mean, every Sunday we, we do this time of confession, and, and part of that is the gospel, right? Part of that is reminding ourselves. Um, the songs we sing, everything we do on Sundays is just reminding ourselves of the cross that, that, that God loves us so much that he died for us. Considering the cross, looking at the cross, meditating on what God did for us, is how we remind ourselves and get reassurance of the, of the, great, the great love that he has for us and, and, and that he will, not, he will not leave or forsake us and he will not leave or forsake the things that we care about. Let's pray. God, we are, we are grateful that you, that you love us, that you use us even in our weakness, that you take what measure of faith we can give you, God, and you, you honor that and, you, and you, you build on it and you do great things through it. Not because we are great, but God, because you, you are great. You are a great and loving God who uses ordinary people to do great things. Lord, we pray that, that we would be able to, to lend the things to you that are heavy on our hearts. We pray that we would, we would be built up this morning in, in the knowledge and the remembrance of, of, of the great love that you have for us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.